Amen. So um, we uh, we are in Exodus 1. Now, uh, as we're going through the first five books of the Scripture, um, we're, the, we really dive into a lot. Uh, the, the Greek, we'll call it the Pentateuch. Um, you know, Hebrews, you know, we have our, our first five books of the law, the Torah. And uh, so when you put all those, just consider we have a lot of, of things that are coming toward us. And uh, and uh, as we're moving from Genesis, the beginning, and now we're moving on into, into Exodus. Uh, right now, there really isn't any uh, from what we covered in Genesis. Everything seems to be going good in Egypt. And things take a bad turn here in chapter 1 of Exodus. So uh, we see that the Lord, that uh, God, um, you know, no doubt named this perfectly. And uh, is uh, as we read it, we understand that uh, the word Exodus means a going out. So we understand that there's a theme here of deliverance, that there's a deliverance from Egypt. Uh, because the children of Israel were uh, being treated very harshly uh, after um, after Moses, uh, excuse me, after Joseph died. And uh, when Joseph is forgotten and new king in town, uh, new rules, new things come up, and uh, we see that he's very paranoid. And uh, that leads to a very murderous uh, implemented plan. Uh, so as we get into this, uh, there are three main sections in the book of Exodus. Uh, chapters 1 through 18 describe God's victory over false gods of uh, of Egypt and Israel's deliverance from bondage, bondage uh, of Egypt. And we can see a picture of our deliverance from sin through faith in Christ as we study. So oftentimes we're going to be studying this and we're going to come to a point where we see Israel being freed, being delivered, that there's something significant happening there. And then we tie that in an application is how does that apply to our lives as Christians now? And we're going to see direct correlations uh, from what's in, written here uh, into our uh, what the New Testament has for us and, and uh, how we see that those two things come together for us in our faith. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We're going to see, dive into more of what this means. I, I, I think I, I know each of us here that that uh, as we stand in Christ, we have our, our our foundational knowledge of who Christ is. But when we can really start diving into uh, some of these things and how they tie, you guys know that I've mentioned this before, but there are actual pastors that say the Old Testament is not significant for us, that it can be it can be done away with. And that is the most foolish thing a pastor could say is that half of the Bible, over half, I mean, just if you take away the first testament, that first covenant that God made, and you take it and say, nah, <laughs> it's just so stupid. It's an incredibly dumb thing to say. But when we can see here that taking away the sin of the world, that there's a deliverance from being under the power of sin, in Christ, that so as as believers that we can, uh, you know, grow in that. When when First Corinthians five calls Christ our Passover, we'll look at what the Passover was and what that meant. 
you know, what it symbolized and, and this, the, the life that that represented and being spared. Um, there's so much there for us to cover. So uh, chapters 19 through 24, the second section, um, describe God's, uh, God making a covenant with Israel. You know, they were uh, they would uh, be they were called to be different than the world around them. Uh, so you'll see that there there is a difference expected as things are explained to them, and, and they are given the Ten Commandments. And chapters twenty five through forty, uh, they have to do with the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with Israel, and uh, He's uh, really leading them to prepare a portable tent. Is what you know. Tabernacle is. It's a, a place that, as they're uh, going through and they're wandering uh, in the desert, they have a place of worship to establish, to set up, and and that's where worship would happen. Uh, you know, now we know that as New Testament believers, we don't go and set up a tent. This place is a house of uh, where we gather in here, but we understand that that true tabernacle, the presence of God, is within us as believers, as Jesus said. That if we believe, then he said, my father and I will come and make our, our home in you. And uh, that's we know that God dwells within us. So we are the tabernacle of God. First Corinthians verse uh, chapter six, verses 19 through 20 say, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have uh, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22 say, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So when we're looking at these things, when what we see here are we see pictures of of what was going to happen in the New Testament. So as we're going through Exodus, it is very much uh, uh, appropriate for us to still read, know, study the Old Testament. It's, it's foolishness for somebody to say that we shouldn't. And for somebody, anybody to make the, the, the comment that, that the Old Testament doesn't apply or uh, shouldn't be taught, we don't really need to you know, tether the New Testament to it is completely ridiculous. Because if you look, you see all of the pictures that are happening there. You know, when you're talking about the exodus, that deliverance that's happening, the deliverance from sin that's being pictured there too. And when you see the tabernacle that God would come and dwell uh, within us. You know, those those things, they don't make sense if we don't have the Old Testament to tell us, you know, how that used to be and how uh, how it worked. So Exodus is a running continuation of, of Genesis uh, in seeing God's plan for redemption. If you if you consider if you're if you have a new King Kim James King James version, uh, verse one starts with the word now, you know, the book starts with the word now. Uh, some uh, will say and in there. So. Um, what we see is happening here is, is a continuation from Genesis, uh, you know, where the brothers, uh, where uh, Joseph just died, and then we pick up here uh, that, uh, regarding the brothers. So there's a new king, uh, a quick summary of, of Exodus before we dive into it is uh, we see starting here, there's a new king, and he's threatened by a massive uh, Hebrew population. Exodus 
12 verse 37 says that there are over 600,000 men that are 20 years age of age and over. 600,000 just men, men alone. Then if you start considering women and children and men that are, are too old to serve militarily, you're talking about possibly 2 million people. That's a lot of people. So they're getting, I mean, they're, they're a little bit worried. You know, 2 million people, last I heard, Maine's what 1.3 million people. You know, you basically double the, the population of Maine and say, wow, Israel has spread so much. They had taken that land of Goshen and, and uh, that was their spot, but they had spread out so much. So he starts getting worried and he begins to afflict, afflict them greatly. Genesis 15, 13 says, then he said to Abraham, God, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. None of this was a surprise to the Lord. The Lord actually prepared Abraham when he told him that, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land for 400 years and they will be afflicted. And we're going to see that unfold here. So this new wicked king tries to control the population by killing all the, uh, the males. And um, he starts with the midwives first. I know I'm getting ahead of what we're going to read here, but uh, then he makes a decree to all when he sees that the, the plan folds with the midwives. Uh, we'll see an introduction to Moses, and we'll learn how the Lord used him as a prophet, a lawgiver, and a leader for Israel, and, um, one that represented God to the people and the people to God. And we see oftentimes that uh, I love how Will would point out that Moses was just doing constant face plants for just interceding for Israel. They'd sin and do something stupid. Then as we're reading, Israel, uh, Mo Moses is just dropping right on his face. Saying, Lord, please don't take them all out. Please don't take them all out. You know, And so we, we'll see several uh, occasions of that happening. And uh, We know that God spoke uh, through Moses. And we'll see that he does speak through Moses even to Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh will uh, refuse to let Israel go. And we'll study of a series of plagues that come as a result. Ultimately, we'll see that God delivers Israel and protects Israel. And when he gives them the Ten Commandments, it's uh, the law laws given to Israel regarding their relationship with him and a relationship between uh, uh, mankind, uh, for between each other. Uh, the tabernacle uh, was. Uh, we'll we'll discuss that. We'll get into that. That temporary uh, place of worship where the children of Israel uh, would use uh, to wander in the desert until um, uh, they uh, until Solomon ultimately uh, built the temple. And uh, God promised that people of Israel would come up out of Egypt, and uh, their promised land was in Canaan. So as we go through these things. Uh, as we're studying through that, I know it's it's sometimes hard to go through kind of an, an outline of what we're going to study, but it really does set the tone for what we're doing here and where we're going. So uh, verse 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Egypt, uh, came with Joseph, sorry, with Jacob, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons uh, from uh, Joseph was, uh, for Joseph was uh, in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. 
But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, uh, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, uh, in, and the land was filled with them. So uh, this, these first seven verses are, are telling us that Joseph and his brothers are now gone, and that, that whole generation uh, is now gone. And, you know, Joseph, it mentions that, that, jo that Joseph was in Egypt already. And I kind of chuckled when I read that. You know, everybody else had to come meet with Joseph. Joseph took the long, hard way there, right? He, uh, he definitely uh, went through the school of hard knocks uh, to get to Egypt. So he was there waiting. And that whole generation had passed. You know, but the children of Israel, it says here, they increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. You know, what started as 70 people grew to a multitude of over 2 million people. That's significant. There, there's a lot that happened there. Uh, so they're just, they're just, they just continue to grow and to grow and to grow. And, uh, and what we'll see here when we get to uh, verse 8 is that creates a problem. But we know that the Lord had promised that they were going to grow. Uh, in Genesis uh, 17, verses 6 and 8, God uh, promising to Abraham, he says, I will, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are now, you, uh, you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So they are there, uh, but they're not supposed to remain there. They've grown. They were called there to preserve their lives, and they're growing so exceedingly uh, that things uh, start looking like they're getting out of control uh, for uh, this next Pharaoh that comes along. And uh, God's promise uh, to Israel was that he was he uh, to. Uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Israel is that they were going to grow and that that wasn't their permanent home, that they were going to be there, as he said in Genesis 15, for 400 years, and then he was going to call them out. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, look, the children of Israel uh, are more and mightier than we. Uh, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of, and it uh, in, uh, and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. So go up out of the land, and so go up out of the land. So there's a new king. He didn't know Joseph. He didn't know that Joseph had such a powerful ministry in Egypt that that uh, he. I'm sure his historians told him, but he didn't care. You know, sometimes after you know things are, are are removed so far that people just don't get, look at our nation. You know, look at where we are. I mean, we're what 250 years old, uh, and we're uh, somewhere right around there. And and, and look uh, at how much our nation has has changed, and and uh, that that we have turned so far from our Creator. Uh, when you consider, uh, you know, how uh, you know the the original people that that had come here uh the the cry was to the lord and, and wanted to be these people wanted to be here the the forefathers so to speak or however you want to you know describe them uh they came here looking for freedom in life and freedom to worship god 
And, uh, you know, look, look where we're at. It was, I mean, I, I know 250 years sounds like a lot, but when you can consider, um, I, I saw an, a news article even this week that, that we have a, a local fisher, uh, fisherwoman, uh, you know, lobster, lobster, uh, woman, uh, 103 years old. She's still working 103 years. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's, if you take those lifespans and you take, just put those together, we're not, a, we're a very, very young nation. Yet we have fallen so far from the Lord, you know, even in the last 50 years. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been like the parachute rip holes and it's, you know, it's just a, a straight plummet morally in this nation. It, it, we're, we're in uh, great distress, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's so easy to forget where we came from and where, uh, where things started out. So this new king just didn't, uh, didn't really care uh, for Joseph, didn't know him. And as time's passed, time passed, forgets about him. And, um, you know, there's a, um, you know, when sin creeps in, we have a, a man with a sinful agenda and doesn't necessarily care. So uh, he, we see here that he's afraid of the children of Israel and that they're more and mightier than them. And he saw potential for Israel to turn on them and to fight against them. So fear caused him to then oppress and murder uh, the Israelites. You know, it starts out uh, with uh, affliction, we'll see here, and then it will grow to murder and uh, murder of babies. And so he's, he's, he's afraid that things are going to grow. And, um, you know, when, when we, uh, are looking at something, uh, you know, considering what's happening here, this man's so afraid, you know, he, he just, you know, taken over and, and, um, he's coming to a point where in a point of paranoia and desperation, uh, he's going to instantly start afflicting them, and uh, things are going to get, uh, you know, pretty crazy uh, for uh, for uh, the people of Israel. Verse eleven says, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them uh, with bur with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with vigor, uh, with uh, rigor, sorry, uh, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which uh, they made them serve was with rigor. So uh, the first uh, thing that he implements is let's just make things really hard on them. Let's let's afflict them. Let's try to keep them so busy that they're not going to uh, even want to think about going and uh, procreating and growing. And uh, the, all they're going to be able to do is work and go to bed. And uh, so they set taskmasters over them and no doubt cruel ones. Ones that are going to physically grab a whip and smack people on the back with it. You guys ever been whipped with a towel? That hurts, right? Um, when I was a teenager, it was really popular, um, you know, especially in the locker room. You know, we would, and, and then you learn really quick little ways to make it hurt more. Yep, get the end wet, right? <laughs> get the end wet, and and then you tie it, you twist it up real tight, and you try to get that. You know, it's not just a this; it's the snap of the wrist that makes the difference, right? 
So some friends and I, uh, I learned also that when you stop and have to, you know, to defend yourself, when you stop and have to twist, you're, I mean, it's, it's like shooting with a muzzle loader, right? You know, you've got to do this and you're just, you're just getting hammered, right? So we learned snap, snap, snap. And it, and it got like that. It hurts, right? And it's leaving welts and stuff. Those things hurt and you avoid it at all costs, right? You know, someone's doing that. My daughter, Natalie, is perfecting it. And she'll get that thing and I'm like, don't, don't. And she'll just snap, snap, you know, and she'll come in the, in the kitchen and get me. And um, it, it hurts, you know, and, and she knows as soon as I grab one, she's gone. She's gone. I, I was a trained professional at one point. I don't want to be whipped by something, right? None of us do. So you're going to avoid that. There was no way. So these taskmasters, they draw up these plans and they are just drilling these people, working them to death, you know, just beating them, just making things so, so hard on them. And uh, they, uh, they're, they're doing everything they can and they're making them build cities and build up storehouses and they're doing all these things. And it has the opposite effect of what they thought it was going. You know, he's, he's so scared and everything that he, he goes with that and the opposite effect. The more they afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. So this was a physical growth in a time of affliction. You know, spiritually, when the church is persecuted, the, the persecution only fans the flames. It, it has a, pers uh, a um, purifying effect on the church. You know, so any time that you look in church history when there's been great affliction and there's been great persecution, you've seen... You know, there's there's the okay. We all need to hide for a little bit for the, our physical safety, but the the gospel spreads like wildfire, and we're going to see that as we study through Acts. We're going to walk through it together. But you know, spoiler alert, like I always like to give us, right? We know that at times, you know, the leaders are saying these guys are turning the world upside down. We can't stop it, right? And there are even leaders that say, hey, if this is spreading, you know, and, and we're trying to stop it, then we're fi we're fighting against God. You know, and so those those types of things, what this what happens is this affliction is fanning the flames. And uh, the you know, if you consider wildfire, you know, you think of, uh, you know, every year it seems like California's on fire. Right. The, 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 the forests in California and the big concern are the winds. Right. Because you guys, we all know, right? As soon as that wind hits fire, it starts raging even more. It's it, it's 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 the oxygen is a fuel for that fire, and it's getting worse and it spreads. That's that's the effect that persecution has had on the church. Is as that fire is burning, when the affliction comes through and the persecution happens, all it does is is spread even further. Because and it has that, like I said, that purifying effect. That it's 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 the dross that you know would would rise up and be scooped away, and uh, those that the impurities would be burnt out and would be melted away. Uh, so we've seen how that has happened uh, in uh, in the church. So, like I said, as we're reading these, we're going to see how these things affect us as uh, you know New Testament uh, believers. So uh, there's a, uh, if you notice, this, uh, this leader, he wants to set a taskmaster over people to afflict, it says. Sin works the same way. And you guys have heard me say this a million and four times, right? Is how sin works. James spells it right out. We get enticed by something. And that, then we, th that will get, bring birth to, give birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
you know, it, sin burdens our souls and afflicts our, afflicts our souls and lives. It steals our joy and keeps us in bondage. That's that's what sin wants to do. That's the desire. It's 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 funny that how sin works. You can put uh, any name of sin on that, and that's how it works. There is no like quiet, simple sin that's not going to move and spread in our lives. Um, there, it might grow into a different sin that's more uh, lethal for us spiritually and physically, but. That's how sin works. It's always detrimental to us. And sin becomes a very cruel master, much more cruel than any taskmaster in Israel uh, that could uh, ever be cracking the whip and and pushing. But uh, sin makes us do its will. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves? whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. That, that sin uh, is, is looking to master our lives, and if we obey it, it is now our master. Or we can choose to obey God. You know, that's the question Romans 6 is talking about. Which master do we want? You know, sin leading to death or obedience leading to life? So our enemy doesn't want to see us grow and wants to afflict our souls. So when there's growth happening in our lives, when you've stepped into further into ministry, when you've stepped closer and you're drawing closer to God and God's purging those things out of our lives, we know that the, that the, the scripture tells us that we are, uh, as Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, uh, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Last verse, Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You know, Israel was afraid that we're going to see uh, as we're progressing through that as they get delivered from Israel, they're in the wilderness and they're afraid that there weren't, they, they even say this, oh, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you wanted to drag us out in the wilderness to kill us? You know, it, Moses calms them down it's, and, and is telling them to trust in the Lord. So as we grow, expect that, and, and as we dive more into Ministry as we grow in our uh, faith and as we are sharing, we are going to face opposition. Why? Like Ephesians uh, six tells us that there are principalities and powers that are fighting against the gospel. There, there, it, we we are in a spiritual war. If, if, if that's news to us, let it never slip your mind from now until the last day that you're here, whether you're raptured or you pass away. We are in a spiritual battle every single day. You know, when you consider, you know, any war movie, and uh, I've watched a few, uh, I love watching those. Oh, my goodness, especially World War II movies, um, World War One II. But for some reason, that World War II era is really intriguing to me. And you think of how long these guys had to stay on the battlefield at times. I mean, you're talking battles that just lasted and lasted and lasted. You know, those things every single day. It's not like you, oh, you wake up, stretch, oh, what are we going to do today? It's like, I'm, I got to go kill that guy there before he kills me. You know, we have to go take that, you know, uh, you know, meet that objective. And we need to go do that. Constant. 
And we can get worn down by that if we're not cognizant of that. And if we're not plugging in daily to the word getting our refill, right? You know, everybody likes free refills. God's got them for us, right? You know, I, I just, those, the thing that we need, the strength that we need is in Christ. You know, he's the one that has overcome the world. And uh, when God told them in Exodus 14, 14, uh, through their leadership, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. God's going to fight. The battles that we go through, uh, just like Israel, like Israel, as they're uh, leaving Egypt, they had battles and uh, they had to trust the Lord to provide for them. So much so that they're complete sitting ducks, right? They get to the point where they run up to the edge of the Red Sea and there's panic and they're, they're so afraid and God parts the Red Sea and they went through on dry land. If there's no greater example of God winning our battles and fighting them for us than, than that, you know, think about that. If there's a greater one, I'm, I don't know what it is, you know, that, that all they had to do was just walk. You know, maybe when he wiped out the Assyrians, 185,000 of them, they just had to go to bed. I mean, you know, those are, okay, if you want to compare them, however you want to look at it. But God just doing his work is uh, is amazing. So that he is going to be the one to fight. So, you know, the, the, the affliction came when, as they were growing, as Christians, be prepared that as we're growing, as you're stepping, as you're, you're moving uh, forward in your relationship with the Lord, affliction's going to come. You know, attack is going to come. Be on your guard. Ask God to take care of it like he did for Israel and move forward. Don't say, oh, this is too much. I better stop and go back. You know, we are called to move on. If you consider, jo you know, think of Joshua, Joshua 1. How many times God had to say, just don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, because he was afraid, right? Just the same way that we just need to trust in him and walk forward. Verse 15, and the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom uh, the name of one was Shurfa, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and the name of the other uh, Pua. And I don't think anybody has named their daughters after them, but after we read this, it would be awesome to name your child after these people, but you probably have to call them like uh, Shippy and Pooey. I don't know, but, you know, it'd be really tough in, in our culture, right? Uh, verse 16, sorry. Uh, and he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see, on, uh, see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. Uh, but if it is a daughter, then he shall, uh, she shall live. So the next step in the wicked plan uh, is population control. So exceeding wickedness is what we see uh, here. And males were known as a greater threat. So he's saying, hey, any males that are born, uh, let's just take them out. And uh, he doesn't know that he'll be outsmarted um, by a woman, uh, uh, Moses' mother here, as he's trying to uh, you know, implement and keep this plan going. And he's also going to be uh, met with a, a good deal of defiance from these women. So uh, his power and control are more important to uh, him in his eyes than human lives. And unfortunately, that mindset of wickedness is very much alive and well today, isn't it? You know, when you consider population control and they say, hey, why don't we just offer, you know, abortion to anybody? And, uh, you know, what's very sad is those abortion clinics uh, were, were set up uh, mostly in uh, big cities uh, to uh, keep minority populations at bay. 
It is so wicked, so wrong. Like, how are we going to provide for them? I don't know. Let's give them an option, you know? And it's so bad. If the option is, hey, you can just murder the baby, that's a wicked one. Look where it's coming from, right? It's the same mindset. How are we going to provide? How This is going to overwhelm us. He's worried that they're going to be overwhelmed, right? What was the answer? Let's give them an option to take out the baby. Guys, it's such a wicked option. It's so wicked that the most dangerous place for a child to be is in the womb. Sad. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God. I love that. That word of contrast. You guys know I love that word. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, there's this happening, but there's but. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and save the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. I love that. For they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. You know, that, that, that contrast, like I said, was there. But that means that they defied the king's orders, uh, which was potentially fatal defiance. You know, they, they could have lost their lives for it. But they feared God. That's the key right there. Why did they do it? Because they feared God. They were told by the king that they were to do that, but they didn't do it. They were, uh, they were disobedient uh, to a, a command because it opposed God. You know, remember, Daniel and his friends stood in defiance when they were told in Babylon to bow down. When you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told that when you hear the sound, you need to bow down. And uh, there, and, and we'll cover that here uh, shortly. But they they stood in defiance, and we'll look at that here as as things um, get to uh, when we get to verse twenty two. We'll dive into that a little bit more. So the 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 these midwives were faced with a crisis: Are we going to obey God, or are we going to obey man? Sounds familiar, right? We were just in Acts, and when Peter and John, and they've got the guy that was just healed. Uh, at the from the temple and walking, leaping, praising God, and they're preaching and everything. They get brought in by the religious leaders and everything, and they're told, "Shut up! Don't preach! Don't teach! Don't do anything in the name of Jesus at all anymore." And they're told to to, to shut up, uh, you know. And they're sternly warned, you know, don't preach in the name of Christ anymore. I love Peter's response; it's one for the ages. You know, he just says, whether we, you know, obey you or obey God, you know, you know, you decide whether we should, you know, you're going to do what you want, but we're going to be preaching. I can't remember his exact words right now, but he's like, you guys can do what you want. We're preaching in the name of Jesus. Bye. You know, and they leave, you know, um, so I was trying to quote that and it fell apart. Anyways, we get it right. You know, just turn to Acts 4 and you'll see it. So uh, it didn't work, and uh, you know they have to answer for what they had done. And I love that they say the Hebrew women, basically, they're not like the Egyptian women. These, these, they're they're lively women. These are strong women, you know. And uh, you know these are, are tough girls, and and um, they give birth before we can get to them, <laughs> right? Yeah, before we can even get there. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Every single one of them, we, you know, and and uh, obviously that's uh, that's not an acceptable answer answer for him. But look at verse twenty. Therefore, God dealt 
well uh, with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. If you look at, at into uh, other translations, it says he provided families for them, that the midwives themselves were able to have families. So God's favor for obedience to his word. You know, if you consider when, when God said that, that, uh, <clears throat> that Abel's blood cried out from the ground, and he said that there had to be uh, a, a penalty for that, right? And he sent, he cast uh, Cain away, and that that blood cries out to God, and there had to be an answer for that. And uh, these ladies knew that, and they didn't want a part of it. So um, the uh, this uh, ends up backfiring. Uh, so his first plan backfired, right? Uh, let's afflict him, and uh, and they grew even exceedingly more. So now, hey, let's let's kill the babies. And uh, and they won't do it, and that backfires, and they grow even more. They multiplied and grew very mighty. So God blessed the midwives, and uh, in, and uh, it's a uh, wonderful thing to see that as they not only were they like blessed, they were blessed with their own family. Think about that; they were blessed with their own families. They saved babies, and they were given babies. You know that that's a, a wonderful thing. Uh, to look at verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So now he's involving all of Egypt. He's telling everybody, Hey, I couldn't get these midwives to come on board. So now he says, there's a decree to everybody. Any Hebrew woman that is, uh, that has a baby, the male can live. The daughter is, uh, the, sorry, the female can live. The son's got to die. I mean, now everybody's out, you know, so he's he's really, uh, you know, he's involving everybody. He's turning up the heat. And this is where uh, considering what happened, I, I talked about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, Daniel three verses 16 through 19 say Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king at the command that they will bow down um, is when it says that uh, it says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat uh, the furnace seven times more than it usually it was usually heated, turning up the heat. Right? You think of of uh, so further on in the in the Old Testament, there's another example of you're going to compromise or else. And when they say no, we're not. The, the heat gets turned up. That's what's happening here, all the way back in Genesis. Okay, uh, I afflicted them and made their lives miserable. That didn't work. I told the midwives to kill the, the the males. That didn't work. Now I'm 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 unleashing everybody, and everybody is going to be held accountable because they knew if they didn't do it, then they were going to lose their lives, right? So when you're when you're considering all of this that's taking place, I, I mean this is very much heating up that fiery furnace. That hey, you won't listen. Well, now you're going to pay. And uh, the midwives wouldn't obey a wicked command and, and were blessed by God for their stance. 
just like these guys were blessed. We know that story, if you're not familiar, from, from uh, Daniel chapter 3, that they get, they get tossed in there. And as the, the guys are throwing them in there, it's so hot that the people throwing them in burn to death. But those guys, because they obeyed the Lord, that as they're looking in, they can see uh, that there's those three that they're bound, they're, the, the, uh, the bonds that are bounding them up are burned off. They're gone, and there's one that looks like the Son of Man walking with them. That God is with us. But I like their resolve, guys, right? Just think of their resolve. They're like, no, we're not going to do it. And God's going to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we're not doing it. Even if we die here today, they had set their mind, they're not going to do it. The midwives did the same thing. Those women were heroes. Pua and Sherpa, uh, however you want to say her name, right? Those two ladies are heroes. They're like, no way. We're not murdering them. We're not doing it. They, uh, definitely, definitely honored by the Lord and, and uh, that we're reading about them thousands of years later. Uh, and their names are in there. That's not, that's, that, you know, God put that in Moses' heart to write that. As he inspired Moses, put their names down. And we got their names. You know, God is greater than the king of Egypt. He's doing everything he can, uh, but everything is failing. And he's going to learn that as time goes on. So Exodus 2, uh, we've got about 25 minutes. So uh, we'll, we're going to jump in here and see how far we get in Exodus 2. So here's another introduction, a more, uh, another outline. So it's an intro to Moses. You know, born in a time of hostility toward Hebrew babies of the tribe of Levi. And we don't know his Hebrew given name, but uh, Moses was a name given to him by Pharaoh's daughter. And the name means to be drawn out, drawn. Uh, so uh, the, uh, we learn that name for him uh, that it was given uh, by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. So uh, we witness Moses' life from beginning to end. So, uh, you know, oftentimes we can look in the scriptures and uh, we see parts of people's lives. They just appear as a grown man or, you know, as a young child or there's this going on or that going on. But uh, when we consider what's happening here in Moses' life, we get to see from birth till he breathes his last. And uh, so it's, it's quite remarkable that we have his whole life spelled out in front of us. And uh, we uh, witness uh, some, some, you know, great... Uh, uh, mistakes and great successes, and we see him grow in his relationship with the Lord. And he's used to lead Israel out of Egypt, and he led them for forty years while they're wandering in the desert. And uh, so we uh, we know a great deal about him. As I said earlier, he represented God to the people and the people to God. So there were several encounters that he is interceding for the people or he's receiving messages from the Lord and able to go back and uh, relay them uh, to the children of Israel. He received the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone and uh, we'll cover in here that he smashes them to the ground and God gives them new ones, right? So um, there's, there's a lot to learn here and uh, he's the writer of the first five books of the Bible and uh, so when we uh, consider Everything that's written here, uh, you know, he's he's literally writing about himself. So it's it's a pretty neat thing to uh, to look at, also. And he corrected the people in their idolatry. We'll see here that he uh, ends up in the land of Midian, whether it's uh, tonight or next week. Uh, that he uh, ends in Midian when he himself leaves 
uh, Egypt when he has to flee, and he stays there for 40 years. So uh, there's a lot to, to cover with Moses, and uh, we'll often see comparisons that he would be a type of Christ in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, that he would be used to deliver Israel from uh, their own cruel master. We were delivered uh, by Christ uh, from uh, the cruel master that uh, we serve uh, in sin, and uh, he was used to, uh, excuse me, to free Israel. We learn uh, and we see that he misrepresents God, and he strikes the rock in his frustration, uh, and that ends up with him being banned from being going to go into the promised land. He was able to see it, but he couldn't go into the promised land. Um, I can guarantee you right now that that was a disappointment to him at that point, but Moses is very much not disappointed uh, anymore uh, where he's in the presence of the Lord. We uh, will cover that Moses is courageous to help others. He's, uh, we'll see in this chapter uh, that he's uh, he would help his fellow Hebrew uh, who was being beat. Uh, that he would help the Midianite ladies uh, from the shepherds that would you know shoo them away, and he would uh, help the children of Israel in their session and prayer. So, uh, but we also see that he's a man at times that didn't trust God for himself, yet would exhort others to do so. Right? It's easy for us to you know it's it, like that's you know the saying it's easier said than done. It's very easy to tell somebody, well, just trust God, right? What you need to do is trust God. And then we're in the flame and, we're, and somebody tells us to trust God, but I can't, right? <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what happens to us, right? But in, and he's very, he's a human being and he's very much, uh, you know, uh, uh, we see here that he's prone to do that also. God is very patient with him. And God, uh, you know, when he gets into an argue, arguing match over speaking, you know, he gets to the point where he's like, God, no one's even going to listen to me. They won't listen. They won't listen. I'm not in good speech. Okay, bud, you just received the best training you could in Egypt, but, you know, now you can't speak. And, and uh, so God says, fine, you know what? You can take Aaron, your brother, and uh, he'll be your mouthpiece. And uh, so he was given that. So he tried, you know, often, you know, there were times where he would exhort others uh, to, to, hey, just trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord and follow him. But he himself would struggle. So we can, uh, I, I think, easily identify with that struggle in our own lives. It's easy for us to exhort and to encourage others. But when it comes to encourage, we're always hardest on ourselves, right? Uh, that's, uh, I, I know I can, I, that right there is easy for me. I, I can identify with that like, yep, that's me. You know, that, that it's easy for me to encourage and exhort somebody else. And then when I'm there, I, I'm much harder on myself. And I, I, I very much will need the, you know, God looking at me going, didn't you just share this on Sunday? <laughs> you know, or, or didn't you just teach that Sunday, Wednesday night, whatever it is? Or didn't you just have a conversation in your office or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I, I very much learned so much from uh, from being in this position that I God is, is um, very much you know, building me. Uh, he faced some great uh, resistance from within, from his older brother, uh, Aaron and from his, his sister Miriam. Uh, so he learned also to take advice from his father-in-law when he was overburdening himself. There are uh, so many lessons for us to learn that we're going to see here. Now, Moses talks about this, uh, 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 sorry, Hebrews 
talks about Moses. And to set the tone before we get into this, uh, you'll see it pop up here. Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 29 say, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months uh, by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. I love that right there. By faith, they didn't do what they were told because they weren't afraid. They trusted the Lord. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Forsaked an Old Testament? No way. This says that he understood what it says there, the reproach of Christ esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than riches of the new of, of the treasures uh, than the treasures in Egypt you know Oliver and I have shared several times like the when he's he gets so blessed in sharing with somebody about Christ in the Old Testament you know that that Moses understood as a prophet he understood that there was one to come. For he looked to the reward, verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, now uh, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is un invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he uh, who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Acts 7.20 says at this time, when at, uh, this is Stephen giving his awesome, um, uh, you know, he's just preaching the bark off of uh, the religious leaders that are about to stone him to death. And he says at this time he's given him a history lesson of their, of their uh, stubbornness and, and the fact that they were stiff-necked and hard of heart. He says, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Uh, God had a special plan for Moses' life. So when you can look at the New Testament, when you can look at Hebrews 11, and when it's talking about the faith that existed within the man, that existed within his parents, you know, there's a, there's a lot to learn there. So when we're looking and we're learning uh, as we see Moses uh, going through the book of Exodus and, and uh, as we're studying him, uh, that's a kind of a uh, some things that as we get there, you're going to go, oh, I remember as we looked at, at an outline, uh, this is what we were talking about. Verse 1, and a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes uh, from, uh, for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So Moses' parents are both of the tribe of Levi. Well, Learn in uh, chapter 6, verse 20, that his father's name was uh, Amram and his mother's uh, name was Joshebed. And uh, there's probably a better way to say Amram. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm, I'm an American and we look at things differently, I guess. So uh, imagine realizing you have to, you have a baby on the way and you know that there's an order to kill your child. 
<laughs> right? Okay, so we know that Amram and Joshabed had a plan. And uh, that plan was not to kill their child. And uh, the, so he stayed with them, uh, a beautiful child, and, and they hid him for three months as long as they could. And, uh, you know, we see that his mother is uh, now technically obeying the command to put their children uh, into uh, the river. Uh, we also see her defying the order uh, and uh, being very innovative, and she makes a basket and waterproofs it. You know, she makes this thing that, yes, okay, technically he's going in the river. And uh, she, uh, you know, she's in a spot where she's uh, forced to do the unimaginable. And uh, she places her baby uh, boy in this waterproof basket and she's smart. She lays it in the reeds, right? If you ever, uh, you know, if you get something, uh, <laughs> we went fishing last summer and, and as we're fishing, um, we, uh, Natalie, I think it was Natalie, uh, it might have been Ashley, caught an awesome bass. But that thing swallowed the hook way down. And I tried my best to get it out. The thing died, you know, and I felt so bad. Beautiful fish, you know, it's kind of, you go bass fishing, it's catch and release. They don't taste very good. So I was trying to make sure that it, it lived and it didn't. And it floats away and it just keeps floating. Finally, it hits the reeds and it stops. And it can just, it's just floating there. And no doubt the eagles that are flying around are going to see it's stuck there, right? So the water is going to take it so far. And once it gets in the reeds, it's not going anywhere. And that's what she says is, okay, I'm going to put him in the river, but I'm going to put him in the reeds so he doesn't travel in the river. So he's put, he's put there. And uh, so she uh, has engineered a way to obey the command and protect her child the best. Uh, she's outsmarting um, the, the king. You know, here's, a, here's another example of a woman uh, that is being obedient to God. And uh, we learn her name. And uh, there are many people that, that will make a claim that women uh, in, in over centuries and that we've seen that, that women are just to be oppressed. They don't have a voice. They don't have all those things. When you look at the scripture and the high esteem that they're held in in the scriptures, I mean, just go through and look through. It's just there's so much here for us to uh, be uh, blessed by. You know, she is a, she's an engineer. You know, she's made this thing. And you guys ever been amazed? Have you ever looked up at the top of like a telephone pole? Have you ever thought of that? When when you've got eagles, that they come and they know how to take wood and glue it to the top of a telephone pole. And they make that. Think about the high winds those things go through. Hurricanes even. And that they're, they're, there's something that, that is to be said for just putting sticks and glue together of how powerful uh, just even that was. I don't know where she got the idea, but she said, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to put this, this sealant around this and we're going to, I'm going to put him there. And uh, his sister, it says in verse four, sister Miriam uh, uh, stood afar off. We'll learn her name here in just a moment, but um, to uh, maybe it's, it's not even said here. I can't remember, but anyways, uh, she's waiting to see what will happen. So Miriam is standing uh, by the water to watch what happens and she's the oldest in the family and uh you know uh, i uh you know they they've got this plan and they've implemented it and uh they've put moses there the mother has to go away and uh now miriam is waiting to see what happened verse five 
Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens uh, walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark of the uh, ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him, and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." So this is great. This is great. So we see what happened here. Uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter came down. I believe that Joshebed knew that was going to happen, the popular spot or uh, whatever. And uh, they, she comes down and she sees it and she sends her maid to get it. A baby's in there weeping. And, and the compassion in her heart says, you know what, I'm going to keep this baby. And here comes Miriam. She's been hanging out, right? These are some smart ladies. Then uh, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse? Uh, for you from among the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Look at, look at God's provision. Right. How this is all all unfolded. You know, Miriam just happens to emerge and approaches Pharaoh's daughter and is given permission. You know, she has this brilliant strategy strategy. She goes right up and she says, hey, do you want me to find somebody to nurse the baby? It's it just brilliant. And, you know, I, I've got to. She gets permission. And now Moses's mother not only has her son back, she has permission to have him and she can nurse her son and she's getting paid to do it. You know, isn't that just like our God? You know, that's an amazing God that we serve, right? She went through and, you know, they they said, hey, you know what? I'm going. They knew that that he's, he's too, we've got to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm not drowning my child. I'm going to make him an ark to float in. So she did. And she puts it in a place where he's not going to float down river, right? And he gets fetched out and... And not only does she get her child back, she's getting getting fed. It's just an amazing thing. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So technically she obeyed the king's command. Uh, I just couldn't imagine carrying that out. And God preserves Moses, and God's graciousness did so. And uh, he gets returned to his mother. And God uses it as a way to provide for them. You know, when you think of uh, this, when I, you know, reading through, I automatically, uh, the heart of a mother came out to, uh, in, in, in me. And I'm, I don't have the heart of a mother, but it was, it was highlighted to me. Okay. Yeah, if that makes sense. And it reminded me when Solomon was approached by two prostitutes, Right. And uh, in his wisdom, when they are approached, uh, he is told a, a, a horrible story. You know, there's one that sleeps, uh, and as she's sleeping, she suffocates her, her, her child. And um, they, uh, uh, then she, as her friend is sleeping, goes and steals her friend's baby. And uh, obviously one of them wasn't a friend, and one, one might have been, right? And they approach Solomon saying, you know, they're both claiming that the child is theirs. And Solomon in his wisdom says, all right, give me a sword. 
and he's going. He says he's going to divide the child in half. I wholeheartedly believe there's no way Solomon would have done that. But he knows. He calls their bluff, right? And that woman says, "Yeah, go ahead." And uh, there, there's one that says, "Yeah, go ahead." But right before that is the real mother. Stop! Don't kill my baby. She can take it. Just don't hurt the baby. That's how Solomon knew that that was the mother. That that heart of the mother, right? The heart of the mother of that child, no way. You know, just such a powerful thing. Just to think that that woman had to put her baby in a basket and that God preserved him. And they knew, they knew that they weren't going to obey the king. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We'll do this, but we're going to defy it. And we're going to, we're going to use every route we can to get around this wicked law. And uh, they didn't, they didn't obey uh, the king and uh, they were blessed for it. So we see several, we're going to stop there for tonight, but we see several occasions uh, that are, are uh, that we've either highlighted or just read of, of defiance, of wicked demands, and how God blessed those and, and that were obedient to God's word. You know, so if there's, I, I'm not sitting here uh, just saying, hey, we just need to defy our government. Rawr! That's not what this is about here. The, the focus is on we are to obey God. We are not to, to be told to shut down, to shut up, and say, yeah, sure, we'll do that. You know, we'll do whatever you want. No, we're going to preach in the name of Christ. We're not going to let somebody dictate whether we can practice our Christian faith or not. You know, as we obey him, he blesses us. We saw it with Pua and the other lady's name. We see it here uh, with uh, Joshebed. Uh, we see a Miriam being able to be a part of it. That there is, uh, you know, there is a... Uh, a wicked decree to kill these children, and they defy it. And they're willing to lose their lives for it. They knew that as midwives, and they don't obey the, the command of Pharaoh, we're, you know, then you know you could do what you want, but we're not doing it. And what does God do? Bless them with families. You know, there, there's this is uh, this is going to be so fun getting through. We're going to see some uh, some hard things, and we're, we're, there are some difficult things for us to study through together, but there are so many things that are going to also bless us. And uh, either way, we're going to be enriched. We're going to be blessed as we read through. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you love us, and uh, God, that as we obey your word, we are blessed. Help us to obey, to not give in to pressure, to not just forsake it for our own will but to understand that we are called to be obedient to whatever you are calling us to. And Lord, that we wouldn't listen to the voice of the enemy, uh, no matter how frightening uh, the, the threat may be, or whatever it is, that we would resolve in our heart that we are going to follow you. We're going to trust you and uh, that we are, would fear you. You know, it's a, a crazy that we could fear men over fearing our creator. Help us, Lord, build our strength. Lord, help us. We're looking forward to learning as we journey through the book of Exodus together. Keep us, watch over us, and bless us until we are together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.